We hope you enjoyed your long weekend, and I promise we'll be back tomorrow with new episodes. But for now, we bring you another one of our favorite episodes of the year so far. It's hosted by Justin Tinsley, and it tells the story of Satchel Paige, who made his MLB debut 75 years ago this summer at the reported age of 42 after years of playing in the Negro Leagues. In the decades since, the legends and lore surrounding Paige and his almost mythic career have only grown, leaving a legacy on the game that endures to this day. I'm Emily Kaplan. It's Tuesday, September 5th. This is ESPN Daily. When you talk about Satchel Paige, you're talking about a figure whose exploits were so mythical that he felt more like Paul Bunyan or John Henry than a real-life pitcher. I'm not sure there's another athlete that had as much lore and legend that surrounded him than the legendary Leroy Satchel Paige. A man whose stories feel so outrageous that it can be difficult to separate fact from fiction. He say, up. I like to call in all the outfielder and brand men. I say, you can brand men, but they have to stand on the infield. He said, okay, up. And he struck out the side. One, two, three, right down the heart of the plate. But Paige was a real flesh and blood man. One who was born in Mobile, Alabama in 1906. Uh, maybe. I think. You know what? I'm, I'm not really sure. No one is, actually. What is something you think most people don't know about Satchel Paige? His age. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you know it? <laughs> no. You know, he would claim to be a couple of years younger than he was. People often thought he was much older. Sometimes facts become unimportant and they become secondary to selling tickets. But... You know, as time progresses and us historians want to go in and correct the record, it can make it a bit tricky. Jack, I'm going to tell you the truth. I don't think it, but a very few people in the United States know my age or where I come from even now, let alone know my age, because I've been playing ever since I was a kid. I never had a job. He was a pitcher with skills and abilities decades ahead of his time. Joe DiMaggio once called him the best and fastest pitcher he'd ever faced. They clocked his fastball at 105 miles per hour. Dizzy Dean was once quoted as saying, if he pitched on the same team with him, we'd clinch the pennant by the 4th of July and go fishing until World Series time. Satchel Paige kept a diary. He had something like 50 to 100 uh, no-hitters and 500 shutouts. I pitched in 160-some ball games in a row. I did it for three years straight. 160. A star who shines so brightly that he crossed into the greater American consciousness at a time before integration. Satchel Page was the biggest star of the Negro League. We played the Yankee Stadium on a Friday night and a Sunday afternoon. I pitched against Satchel Page. We had over 100,000 people in the Yankee Stadium for those two ball games at Major League Bryson. Satchel Page visited more cities in his career as a baseball player than the railroads did. <laughs> Those small towns had seen him before. And we're not talking about just black baseball fans. We're talking about white baseball fans who knew who Satchel Paige was. 
I am the proudest man on earth right today, and I know my wife is, and my sister, and my sister-in-law, and everybody. And so, we're talking about a man who appreciates it, and I know a lot of people do. It's Leroy Satchel Page. I thank you. So today, we explored the legend and legacy of a man whose career was larger than life. When you talk about the full package, when you talk about longevity, when you talk about the great stuff, and then you add the charisma with it, now, there'll never be another Leroy Satchel page. Satchel Page is a name that's familiar to some, but a story that's still unfamiliar in a lot of ways. So I asked Bob Kendrick, president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum in Kansas City, Missouri, to start at the very beginning with a very simple question. Who is Satchel Page? In my estimation, Satchel Page is the GOAT. He is the greatest pitcher of all time. And if you don't believe me, just ask him. He earned that reputation. He really did. What is Satchel Page most known for in terms of his skills and theatrics and play on the field? Dominating fastball. They clocked his fastball at 105 miles per hour. But I tell my guests all the time what really made Satchel so special and as you well know, if you're a baseball fan, 105 is pretty doggone special. But 105 with pinpoint control was virtually unhittable. First thing is control, to throw the ball where you want to throw it. You don't need but one ball. I had kids with a slider, knuckleball, and all those different balls. But if you just got one that you can get over any time you want and throw where you want to, Jack, you don't need but That's the right. one. He didn't warm up in the bullpen like most pitchers do throwing to the catcher across home plate. You know what Satchel would use? A stick of foil chewing gum wrapper. Honest to God's truth, the catcher would set the chewing gum wrapper on top of home plate. And wherever the catcher moved the chewing gum wrapper, Satchel right over the top of that chewing gum wrapper. And as Satchel would say, he'd work both corners of that chewing gum wrapper. So while the fastball was as dominant as anyone who's ever thrown a baseball, his control is second to none. Justice Hill, a longtime Cleveland area journalist, wrote a piece about Satchel Page for Anscape and made some new discoveries of his own about who Satchel was, including the reality that he pitched, even by the standards of that era, a hell of a lot. One of the things I didn't know was that Satchel Page kept a diary. He chronicled most of the games that he pitched. Some people said that he stretched the truth because he had something like 50 to 100 no-hitters and 500 shutouts. And But there's no question, nobody questions the fact that there's probably not a man on the face of the earth that pitched more than Satchel Page because he pitched every day. I pitched in 160-some ball games in a row. I did it for three years straight. 160? Three. 
yeah. street. And you, the, there were legends that you pitched doubleheaders, yes, uh, which is unheard of. And then, yes, I used to pitch doubleheaders. Then you play three games a day, a morning game, evening game, and a night game. He didn't pitch full games every day. Let's right. say you decided, you're, you're, you're barnstorming uh, day, you had a game in Toledo tomorrow, but you also had a game in Detroit the day before. In Toledo, you were coming to watch that team play because you wanted to see Satchel Paige pitch. So Paige would pitch an inning or two and then leave. And then you could say, always say the rest of your life, I saw Satchel Paige pitch. Sean Gibson, great-grandson of the legendary Negro League slugger Josh Gibson, told me about the relationship Josh had with Satchel Paige throughout their baseball careers. You know, they played in Negro Leagues both together for a very long time. Believe me, they played against each other a lot. I know from my grandfather telling me, you know, Satch and Josh, they were a big draw. So they would get gate money if they were going to Detroit or to Chicago and they were playing against each other. They would have their contract, but they also get gate money because people wanted to go see Josh and Satch. They knew what they brought to the table and they used that to help the Negro Leagues. You know, they wasn't being selfish for themselves. They wanted to help everybody else. They helped their team, they helped their teammates and they helped the league in general. Once integration became a reality, players began to transition from the Negro Leagues to Major League Baseball. But it wasn't easy. Damian Thomas of the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History explains. That transition process was actually quite slow. We think about Jackie Robinson integrating in 1947. When Satchel Page comes the following year, He's only the seventh African-American player. And by that point, only three major league teams had integrated. Mm. The Dodgers, Cleveland, and the St. Louis Browns. But it still takes 12 years for all of the teams to integrate. Jackie Robinson played a masterful 10-year career, and there were still two or three teams that hadn't even integrated after that decade. Mm. It was still a challenge to get an opportunity to play Major League Baseball. Part of the challenge, according to Hill, was overcoming the pervasive stereotypes that many had towards Black baseball players, Black Americans, and even Satchel Paige himself. There was one newspaper compared to Step and Fetch It. Step and Fetch It was a cartoonish mm-hmm actor in, the, I guess, the 20s and stuff like that. I think the original step of Fetch, if I'm not mistaken, was white. Uh, I was in blackface. But he would take all the other stereotypes that the white people slapped on black people, and it was their form of humor. Wendell Smith, the, the Hall of Fame black sports writer, mm-hmm. didn't think, because uh, when they were looking for people to integrate baseball, uh, he told... Uh, Brad Ricky, that Satchel Page was the wrong person. You know, he was old and he was at the end of his career. So even the black press didn't necessarily see him the way some other people did. And so in spite of being the Negro League's greatest star, Satchel Page watched as it was Jackie Robinson who broke the color barrier in Major League Baseball. Damian Thomas explains. Satchel Page was the biggest star of the Negro Leagues. And one of the enduring questions that people have is, why wasn't Satchel the first? Yeah, yeah. Jackie's chosen for a number of reasons. Number one, Jackie wasn't a Southerner. He was born in Georgia, but raised in California. 
And so Jackie was not someone who the Southern players in Major League Baseball would be able to to use a lot of that dog whistle language and attempt to try to bully based upon his, his upbringing and his geographic reason. The second reason why Jackie Robinson is chosen is because he was college educated. Went to UCLA at a time when it was still rare for people to go to college. Also meant that he was frequently around white Americans and he was comfortable being in these spaces as one of the few African-Americans. I think the third reason is Jackie was also a veteran of World War II. He didn't serve overseas, but he wore a uniform during this crucial moment. And so there's a story about Jackie that, that you can sell Jackie as this sort of embodiment of excellence. Satchel Page is a little bit different. Satchel Page is from Alabama. One of the interesting parts of Satchel Page's story is the way in which he was often depicted in these minstrel-like kind of roles. Mm. One of the things we always have to remember, one of the traditions of the Negro Leagues, is that there was often a lot of clown that became a major draw for some of the teams. And so what you would see in a lot of the menstrual traditions is you would see African-Americans dressed in suits, but the suits would be three sizes too big. And it's just designed to suggest that African-Americans and positions of prominence is, is sort of laughable. Or they would have names like senator. And it's just this idea that, that even thinking about an African-American being a senator in the U.S. Congress is a laughable kind of proposition. And in some ways, Major League Baseball, the idea that, that African-Americans can compete at the highest levels of the game is laughable, all designed to kind of stress and suggest that African-Americans can't compete in, in these, these high level spaces. And even sports, baseball in particular, reinforces that in some key moments. Satchel Page had become sort of emblematic of a particular type of African-American. In many ways, it's not a true depiction of Satchel Page, but that's how people sort of saw him and perceived. After the break, Satchel Page arrives in the majors. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. July 7th, 1948. After pitching in the Negro Leagues for more than two decades, 
Satchel Paige finally signed his first major league contract with the Cleveland Indians. Bob Kendrick shares Cleveland owner Bill Vec's thought process. There was this mystique surrounding Satchel, and in particular, his age. And honestly, I don't know if anyone other than Bill Vec would have given the old man an opportunity. The other owners would have just blown it off and just essentially said, well, he's too old. This would be a sideshow, but not Bill Vec. Bill Vec was one of the most revolutionary figures in MLB history, and he was never afraid to buck convention. He was kept from buying the Philadelphia Phillies in 1942 by MLB commissioner Kennesaw Mountain Landis once Vec made it clear that he intended to integrate the ball club. Vec purchased Cleveland in 1946, and it's said that throughout the 1947 season, he had a portable fence installed in center field allowing him to adjust the distance depending on the power of Cleveland's opposition, causing the American League to install rules against changing a field's dimensions during a season. Oh, in that same year, he signed center fielder Larry Doby to a contract, integrating the American League with the second black man to play in the majors. Bill Vec had been looking for trade opportunities, but he never really could identify a trade possibility that he felt was a better option than signing Satchel Page. Vec may have known that Satchel still had that gas in the tank. And he weighed his options. And he felt like his best option was Satchel Paige. And he was proven right. Joining the team midway through the year meant there was no spring training for Satchel Paige. So player manager Lou Boudreau used him out the bullpen at first. On July 9th, 1948, Page became the first black man to pitch in an American League game, going two scoreless innings in relief, a role he would fill throughout the rest of July. Once the old man got his legs underneath him, oh man, he was lights out. I'm so glad you mentioned that once he got his legs underneath him, because I want to go back to that day 75 years ago. Bob, what was that game like? I would imagine that Satchel would have said it was relatively uneventful for him, because... Certainly there was this anticipation of how he would perform and he gets a chance to come in in relief and pitches about two innings in that game and he didn't give up anything. And and I'm sure Satchel was like, well, you know, ain't no big deal. I've done this all my life. But Satchel's debut nearly didn't happen at all, as Hill told me, as Satchel and Vec had some difficulties reaching an agreement on salary. Satchel Page refused to take a cut in pay. Bill Vec wanted Page to come because he didn't start at the beginning of the season. Mm-hmm. Page made more than almost every major league player in that era. He signed for half a season for $25,000. There may have been one player on that Indians team that made that for the whole season. 25000 might have been a large price tag at the time. But as the buzz built, according to Bob Kendrick, for Vec, it was worth it. Whatever Bill Beck's motivation was, I know he knew that Satchel would be a huge draw. And he was. He absolutely was. Once he took the ball as a starter in August, Satchel proved to be far more than an attraction at the gate. The fans, man, they flocked to those games. We're talking about over 200,000 fans witnessed his first three starts in the major league. And his first start is in Cleveland, 
and they've got over 72,000 people in the ballpark. And he beats the Washington Senators. And then what he does after that is one of the most remarkable feats in baseball history. It does not get enough attention. Old man pitches back-to-back shutouts against the Chicago White Sox. He goes to Comiskey Park. They got some 55,000 people in the ballpark. He shuts out the White Sox five to nothing. They go back to Cleveland, and now they've got 78,000 people in the ballpark to watch him against the White Sox again. He shuts them out one to nothing. That's how remarkable that 1948 season was and in a highly contested pennant race. Page helped Cleveland capture the American League pennant. They faced the Boston Braves in the World Series. Satchel Page, a six foot 380 pounder, born in Mobile, Alabama, did some great pitching for the uh, Cleveland Indians in spots during the course of the season. He won six games and lost one. Here's the pitch. Swung on and missed strike two. As old Satch poured a fast one in there. Page and the Indians would go on to win the World Series title in 1948, the last in the franchise's history. There goes a fly ball towards left field. Going back fast is Kennedy. Kennedy gets there, and he takes it. And the Cleveland Indians are the world's champions of 1948. And they are leaping joyously as they go off the field. Bearden is being mobbed as our Lou Here is arguably the biggest and brightest star from the Negro League coming in and stepping into Major League Baseball at age 42, or maybe 52, because we don't really know for sure. And there is this natural curiosity on whether or not he still had the goods. Well, as we saw in that 1948 season, he more than had the goods. He was incredible. Part of what helped Page be incredible in his rookie campaign was the fastball and the control that we mentioned earlier. But that was just the tip of the iceberg when it came to what he really had in his bag. He didn't have fastball, curveball, changeup, slider. Not Satchel. Satchel had what he called his midnight creeper. He had the two-humper. He had the bat dodger. He had the hesitation pitch. He had the long tom, the short tom, the jump ball, the trouble ball the radio ball, the wobbly ball, the dipsy do, And he had a pitch that he famously called his B-ball. And the reason that he called it the B-ball is that Satchel says, it bees where I want it to be when I want it to be there. Page pitched to a more than respectable 3.31 ERA from 1948 to 1953 with Cleveland and later the St. Louis Browns, appearing in 178 games. He was released after the 1953 season, but continued to pitch in the minor leagues and on various barnstorming circuits. By the end of the decade, he was pitching for the Miami Marlins, a minor league affiliate of the Philadelphia Phillies at the time, run by his good friend Bill Veck. But even then, at around 50 years old, Satchel Paige wasn't done yet. 
You look pretty good to me. And I think that a lot of people figure, well, maybe this is Satch's last year. Maybe he's not going to be as good as he was last year. But I think you showed him out there, Sonny, that you're just as good, if not better, than you were last year. Well, I try to keep up like that. But, Jack, I don't think this is my last year. I, I think I can play baseball about 15 or 20 more years. Well, I'm going to keep up with Landon. <laughs> the, way, the way you throw that ball, I think you'll do all right. Another thing, as long as you got a pitch. While Page was on hiatus from the major leagues, his star power drew him in different directions. He appeared in a movie. The Wonderful Country, and published a successful autobiography before making one final appearance on the mound for the Kansas City Athletics in 1965 at the estimated age of 59. Here's Bob Kendrick. When he pitched here in Kansas City in 1965, Charlie Finley, who also was a great promoter, brought this great self-promoter in and he pitches his final Major League game for the Kansas City A's in 1965 against the Boston Red Sox. So Satch with that baseball cap cocked jauntily off to the left side of his head going through his warm-up tosses to Bill Bryan. He gives up one hit in, in three shutout innings at age 59 or possibly 69 years old. And the only guy to get a hit off the old man, great trivia question, a young Carl Yastrzemski. He's had an easy three innings. He's had to throw a minimum number of pitches. He hasn't walked anybody. Went to 3-0 and on Yastrzemski, and Yastrzemski pounded a double off the left field wall. But, man, what was even more remarkable is that Satchel had pitched against Yaz's father some two decades prior to pitching against Yaz. And so... And, and the great Rico Petroselli. I was doing an interview several years ago, and Rico was the host of, of one of these baseball talk shows, and he was in that game. And he told me this. He says, Bob, we all went to the plate hacking away at that old man. They thought they were going to light this old dude up. Satchel's fastball was still 86, 87 miles per hour and he's painting the black at age 59, maybe. And he said they're all turning, going back to the dugout in utter disbelief that they couldn't hit this old man. That was certainly a very exciting three innings of baseball for the fans here. He allows only one hit. Utterly unbelievable. But for A's owner Charles Finley, this was more than just a stunt. It was a chance to give something back to the man himself, as Damian Thomas explains. Satchel Page, at the age of 59 years old, was three innings short of earning a major league pension. And the owner of the Kansas City A's, Charles Finley, was aware of that and said, you know what, this is somebody who's contributed to the growth of this game. He's somebody who who should have been in the major leagues long before he was. Satchel made his major league debut at 42 years of age. Uh, just a absolutely astonishing to see him succeed at a time when, when most of the best players had already retired by that point in their career. And now they're gonna bring him out of the ball game. Well, when he comes out, you'll see quite a hand for him, or hear quite a hand for him, I'll tell you that. It's a testament to, 
to some people's recognition and desire to undo a harm, or at least to the best of their ability to try to, to do something right by someone who had, had meant so much to the game. It's also important to, to remember that we are roughly 20 years into integration. This is after the, the Civil Rights Act, around the time of the Voting Rights Act, and people are beginning to rethink a lot of their notions of race and equality and opportunity. And so it is it is a, a moment where he goes and throws throws at 59 years old, throws three <laughs> scoreless in. Well, Satchel Page is getting a standing ovation and he has twice docked his cap to the crowd here and actually bowed to them. The A's players in the dugout standing at attention as Satch comes by their clapping hands. And once again reaffirms this legend of the immortal and incomparable Satchel Page. Whether he is 23, 53, 63, or 73, as some say, he really showed a lot of people that he still has that old love of the game, and boy, his arm is still there. What a guy, Satchel Paige. Coming up, the legend and legacy of the great Satchel Paige. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Delicious meat nutritious. In the snack that packs a real protein punch, wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one-ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Trust me, I've been eating them like there's no tomorrow all week. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with your family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you, like me, are on the go a lot. Taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries, whatever it may be. Well, the good news is not only are Wonderful Pistachios a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snack game today. Visit WonderfulPistachios.com to learn more. So earlier, I said that hearing stories about Satchel Paige was like hearing the legends of a Paul Bunyan or a John Henry. I guess in today's term, it feels like Satchel Paige was an Avenger, a hero from a tale that couldn't possibly be true. One of the many reasons that so many of Paige's exploits feel larger than life is because they happened on barnstorming circuits or on Negro League fields, where there weren't always radio broadcasts and definitely no TV broadcasts to chronicle the events. Most of the footage you see of Satchel was from later in his life, when he was already in his 40s, or maybe his 50s, 
which helps explain why basic things about him seem like mysteries, like his age. We have his original tombstone here on display at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. And man, when you go to the tombstone and look at his birthday, there's a question mark there. I'm going to tell you the truth. I don't think it, but a very few people in the United States know my age or where I come from even now, let alone know my age, because I've been playing ever since I was a kid. I never had a job. But still, they say I'm 100 years old, and everybody I meet, they say they played ball with me. Some of them's 100, some of them's 85 and 90. <laughs> Look, I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't know if we'll ever get the answer to Satchel's true age, but here are some possible explanations, starting with Sean Gibson. Listen, I don't know why it is. I wasn't in that era. And from stories, the people just felt like Sasha was going to know his age because he felt like if they knew his age, they might not want him to play. If he's talented enough to play on the diamond, his age shouldn't matter. Everybody, Jack, think I'm so old and I, I cannot do this and I cannot do the other. And I want to show them that I can still play baseball regardless if they don't know my age, if they think I'm 107, it's still all right. So I think that's the real reason why he never want people to know his age. He said, let my talent speak for myself, not my age. Here's Bob Kendrick on the historical reason for the mystery. There were a lot of folks, particularly Black folks born in the Deep South, who did not know how old they were. You're not born in a hospital. You're born at home to a midwife. And so that birth record would actually be recorded in the back page of the family Bible. Well, according to Satchel, the goat ate that page out the Bible. And so he may not have known how old he really was. And, and of course, he was savvy enough to play that age-old mystery up to the hilt and it only added to the lore and legend surrounding him. Uh, Satchel, I, uh, there's been a lot of speculation and debate as to just about how old you are. Could you clear up that mystery once and for all for the American people? Well, I've been trying at my age so long till I want to keep it now. They did uh, a lot of research work behind me. And every time they would get a stack of papers, you know, high enough where they thought they had me, I would just slip out of the loophole. I just slip out. <laughs> the haze around Satchel's age persists. And honestly, it just adds into the mythology surrounding him. And it doesn't help that the true stories about Satchel Page are just as fantastical, like the one Bob Kendrick heard from Negro League's legend Buck O'Neill about Satchel facing Josh Gibson in the 1942 Negro League World Series. One of these myths that's actually true. We'll let Bob take it away. This wasn't just any old game. This 1942 Negro League World Series. The great Kansas City Monarchs against the vaunted Homestead Grays, led by two future Hall of Famers, Buck Leonard and Joshua Gibson. But that 1942 Kansas City Monarchs team was led by a couple of Hall of Fame pitchers in Satchel Page and the legendary Hilton Smith. And as Buck would tell the story, they're playing in Griffith Stadium. So we get two outs, and we lead the ball game by a couple of runs. Two outs in the ninth inning. 
Jerry Benjamin hit the ball down the third base line. It hit in foul territory, bounced foul in the foul territory. He stands up triple. Well, we got two outs. Satchel called time. He motions for him to come over. He called him Nancy. He said, Nancy, you know what I'm fixing to do? Satchel called me Nancy. He said, Nancy, you know what I'm fixing to do? I said, yeah, I know you're going to get this other guy out. Let's go home. He said, no. He said, no, Nancy. I'm going to walk Howard Easterly. I'm going to walk Buck Leonard. And I'm going to pitch to Josh Gibson. And I said, no, man, don't be facetious. He said, you call it what you want, but that's what I'm going to do. So Buck says he calls time. He motions for the Monarchs' manager, a guy named Frank Duncan, legendary manager, to come out. He says, Skipper, listen to what this fool says he's fixing to do. I said, Satchel, tell him what you said. Satchel told him, Frank, look up in the stands. We got maybe 35,000 people in the ballpark. He said, well, and Buck, you see these people in the ballpark? That's what they're here to see Satchel and Josh. Let him do what he wants. I said, okay, it's your ball game. Now, Satchel, who had pinpoint control, he rarely walks anyone. He walks Howard Easterly on four straight pitches. He walks Buck Leonard on four straight pitches. Now, everyone knows what's going down. So, Satchel calls time again. This time, he motions for the Monarch's trainer to come out. And the trainer is part of the show. So the trainer comes out wearing a doctor's spot. And as Buck would say, he's got a glass in his hand. And he drops something in the glass, and the glass begins to fizz. As Buck would surmise, it must have been an Alka-Seltzer. And so he walks it out. He hands it to Satchel. Satchel drinks it down. He lets out a belt, and now he's ready. Buck says Josh is standing in the batting circle. He swung a 40-ounce, 41-inch Batman, and he says that big bat looked like it was six feet long. He says to himself, oh, Lord, it's going down right now. And so as Josh is coming to the plate, Satchel is talking to him. He said, Josh, remember when we were playing with the Crawfords? We were traveling over the mountains, going east, and I, I said, uh, you know, I think you're the greatest hitter in the world. I know I'm the best pitcher in the world. And said, but one day we're going to be on the opposite side. said, this is the time. Josh said, oh, throw the ball, Satchel. He said, Josh, I ain't going to try to trick you. I'm going to throw you three fastballs. 95-mile-an-hour fastball, boom, strike one. He said, I'm going to throw you another fastball, but it's going to be a little faster than that one. Throw the ball, Satchel. Boom. 100-mile-an-hour fastball. Strike two. Josh never moves the bat. He says, now, Josh, I got you 0-2. He said, now, you know I got you two strikes and no balls. Now, I'm supposed to knock you down, move you off the plate, but I'm not going to throw any smoke at your yoke. I'm going to throw a pee at your knee. 105-mile fastball. Boom, right down the middle. Josh, don't move the bat. The ball game's over. Josh slams the bat down in disgust. Buck says Satchel, who stood about 6'4", six, 6'5", six, stretched out. He looked like he was seven feet tall. We go walking off the field. Satchel's 6'4", and looked like he was seven feet tall. He said, you know what, Nancy? I said, what, Satchel? He said, nobody. Nobody hit Satchel's fastball. I said, I guess you're right. Honest God's true. Negro League World Series. Walked the bases loaded to face the most feared hitter. And all the baseball struck him out on three pitches after telling him 
what he was going to throw him, only the immortal Leroy Satchel Page. Now, Sean Gibson, Josh's grandson, he isn't quite sure it all went down like that. Let me say this. Do we know if, do we know if that's true or not? <laughs> Look, I'm just asking you. you know, I don't know if it's true or not, but I had to ask. <laughs> you know what, man? It's a great story. First of all, let me say this. Being a descendant of a famous Negro League baseball player, we hear the stories of Sash Carlin and his infielders and everybody sit down and he's truck Josh out. <laughs> but I will say this. That probably may or may not have happened, but I can guarantee you Josh got Sash a few times, too. Bob Kendrick confirms. Josh got a little revenge the very next year. They're playing in Yankee Stadium. And he says that Satchel tried to get a fastball past Josh. He said Josh hit the ball so hard. Said the ball went right over the top of his cap into Monument Gardens in Yankee Stadium on a rope. And as Josh is circling the bases, Satchel still down. He never comes up. And he looks over at first base, and he says, Nancy, a fella could get killed out here. 75 years after his Major League debut, Satchel's legacy lives on, inspiring baseball fans and reminding us of the complicated chapters of the sport's past. I asked Damian Thomas why he thinks Satchel's name endures today. Most people know the name Satchel Page because he continues to be one of the enduring symbols of a lost opportunity. One of the the, the key questions that we always have in sports is who's the best? Who was the, the best hitter, the best pitcher? Is Satchel better than Dizzy Dean? And the reality is that these are answers we'll never know. And that's the tragedy of segregation. It's the tragedy of racism. It is the tragedy of the lack of opportunity is that we can't answer these questions because people were denied opportunities to compete, to, to go head to head. And to me, that that's part of the big story and part of the legend of Sadshow is in some ways we've got an incomplete record. We've got lore and legend when we really should have facts. When I asked Sean Gibson about what he thought about Satchel's legacy, he invoked longevity as a key to why Satchel was remembered. You know, the one good thing about Satch compared to Josh Sash didn't live a little longer, right? So he was able to be around some MLB players and speak about his career, and he spoke at the Hall of Fame. He was able to do so many things to continue on his legacy and build his brand. Josh died at the age of 36 years old, 1947. So that's the difference as well. But when you talk about Sash's legacy, man, you know, I, to me, he's one of the greatest pitchers of all time. Here's Bob Kendrick again on Satchel Page's generational impact. Satchel Page had that same kind of presence that was so transcending and crosses over generations and crosses over racial lines 
in terms of people's reverence for him. And, and that's what made him so special. There are still scores of people who will walk into this museum and their recollections, or they will have stories of how their grandfather caught Satchel in some small town. And it just warms my heart each and every time that I encounter these stories from folks. And so he still is very much alive, obviously with the work that we do here at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. It is etched in their minds and in their hearts. Satchel Page was larger than life, and there's still a lot we don't know about what was true and what was myth. But Damian Thomas points out that there's no disputing the direct connection that Satchel and many Negro leaguers had on the game today. Not just on how the game is played, but who's playing it. In some ways, to me, the most overlooked aspect of Satchel's legacy and the legacies of the Negro Leagues is that we can still see their contributions in today's game. Because Satchel played in the Dominican Republic and other athletes went to Cuba, taught the game there, taught the Negro League virgins of the game there. And so the game was cultivated there. And now when we look back and look at the game today and see those players from the Caribbean, the Dominican and other places who are bringing back to Major League Baseball versions of the Negro League style of play is that that legacy continues and continues to influence how the game is played today. And I think that's the most overlooked aspect of Satchel's contributions and the Negro Leagues. So this Sunday, July 9th, marks several occasions. The 75th anniversary of the debut of the oldest rookie in MLB history. Of the first time a black man pitched in an American League game. And of Leroy Satchel Page finally making it to the big leagues. You see, Satchel Page didn't need to make it to the majors to be a legend. That part of his legacy was already secure. No, 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 no. The real winners that day were us, the baseball fans. We're the ones who got the gift of seeing one of the game's all-time greats finally play on its biggest stage and eventually accept its biggest honor, induction into Cooperstown. I am the proudest man on earth right today, and I know my wife is, and my sister, my sister-in-law, and everybody else. And so we're talking about a man who appreciates it, and I know a lot of people do. It's Leroy Satchel Page. I thank you. For more information on Josh Gibson and the Josh Gibson Foundation, go to joshgibson.org. To learn more about the Negro League Baseball Museum, go to www.nlbm.com. And you can find more on Satchel Page in Justice B. Hill's piece on Anscape right now. I'm Emily Kaplan. This has been ESPN Daily. We'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>